Thanks for joining us for Journey Living with Shannon Meyer. Journey Living is a radio broadcast featuring the Bible teaching of Shannon Meyer, whose passion is to help women walk with God through the trials and challenges of life. Now, here's Shannon. When was the last time or a day went by that you weren't a part of or heard about a disagreement of some sort? Whether that was with the election, wearing masks, taking the vaccines, do I take it? Don't I take it? We should stay united. We should stay apart. We should tolerate or we should put an end to it. Maybe we should do this or that. No way should we ever do that. Fighting, arguing, war, and disagreements have always been the thread woven throughout all of our lives. Just think about Cain and Abel in the very beginning. They were the first to fight among brothers and create a murder. And over what? Jealousy. Cain was angry that God favored Abel's blessing to the Lord. But it didn't only start with the first children. It was started back with Adam and Eve when they bickered in the Garden of Eden of who made the other choose to eat the apple. Then it went on to Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers. There was Saul and David and David and his son Absalom. All throughout history and scriptures, there has been a lot of fighting. In a day and age where we have all access to In a day and age where we have all access to the world to tout our beliefs while belittling and judging others because of our opinions, more and more fighting breaks out every hour. But what if we were more prone to fight for what is right in God's eyes than in man's? Where our opinions weren't the focus or our right to voice our opinion. God is a God about fighting for a cause. He created us to have the heart of a warrior. But at the end of this age and in the universe as we know it, God will take on his enemies and destroy them for the last time. So fighting isn't always a bad thing if it's done in the right context. But until then, let's look at what really is worth fighting for. I would have to say, first and foremost, our minds. If the mind is the battlefield, it is imperative that we set our minds on things above and not on the things of this earth, like Colossians 3, 2 tells us. Again, we can read in Philippians 4, 8, it says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I believe the idle mind is the enemy's playground. We must do battle in our mind to war against the enemy and his vices and his lies. It's where the battle is won or lost. That is why he attacks so many people mentally. I believe suicide and addiction is from the mind that has been defeated, where someone will give up their entire life because of something they believe they can no longer handle. Secondly, we must fight for our spiritual ground. 1 Peter 5, 8 says that the enemy roams around seeking whom he can devour. 
There are times we must put up a spiritual fight to stand our ground, our territory, just like with our families and their well-being, our marriages and our own livelihood. Sometimes you will have to look Satan dead in the eye and say, I'm not moving from here. This is my territory. Some Christians say that we shouldn't fight. Well, I would like to remind those who do. Well, I would like to remind those who think that God and Jesus came as a frail and meek, timid man. The verse in Exodus 15, verse 3, it says, the Lord is a warrior. There are certain battles that you must fight and win. There's a time to stand up for what's right and to let go of the things that truly don't matter. Matthew 10, 34 says, do not suppose that I bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus tells that it's not always going to be unicorns and rainbows. He didn't come to make our comfort level his focus. Again, we talked about last week in the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus proclaims that. But in Luke 4, verse 28 through 30 says this. People had gotten angry after he had been done speaking, saying the Lord had appointed him to preach the good news, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover sight for the blind, to release the oppressed. Well, it goes on to say in Luke 4, verse 28 through 29, where they were furious when they had heard this. They drove him out of town and took him to the edge of a cliff or a hill in order to throw him over. But it's this great verse in verse 30 that says, but, don't you love a but God in the Bible? It says, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't take anything from anybody. These people were so furious that they drove him to the edge of a cliff and were literally going to throw him over. He does an about face, turns around, walks right back through the crowd and goes about his business. Sometimes you and I will have to do that same about face, turn around, look your enemy in the eye and walk through and exit the playing field. It's here that Satan loves to try to win his battle wherever you seem weakest, wherever you proclaim what the Lord has given you, whether that be through truth or promise Satan is oftentimes there mocking you wherever you go. I would love if you have your Bibles or on your phone to turn to Revelation 19. There is a great passage here that tells us just how mighty our God is. It says in verse 11, Revelation 19, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. This is Jesus in the end times, friends. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of the heavens were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Verse 15, 
Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He rules them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, reading that passage, I find nothing meek and mild about Jesus. I see nothing but a warrior, a commander-in-chief taking charge, and everyone following behind him. Is this the same Jesus that people got furious with and threatened to throw him over a cliff? Is this the people that mock him day in and day out and say, we want nothing to do with you? It would make us all stop and pause to think that this Jesus, our Jesus, will be the one when the heavens are opened up who will be riding on a white horse called Faithful and True. I don't know about you guys, but there's nothing weak there. Jesus will come to fight the final battle with the enemy and to take his children home. It's here that that reminds me of the third thing that we must fight for our own families. Nehemiah 4.14 says, after I look things over, meaning he evaluated and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for at some point in time, you're going to have to fight your brothers and sisters, your wives, and for your homes. Warriors without a cause become destructive. Nehemiah talks about a person who has to evaluate the situation and go fight for what is theirs. Yes, you may have to fight for your brothers and sisters, whether that be of blood or your brothers and sisters in Christ. You may need to fight for your children. I know I did as mine grew up all throughout their teenage years. I fought at the foot of the cross. I fought with them sometimes. I fought against their friends and even the parents of their friends. Parenting isn't for popularity. If you're going to parent the way God calls you to, you probably will be the least you probably will be the least popular in your child's life for a time being. But it's there I didn't fight for their freedoms. It was there I fought for their livelihood, for their minds and their souls that I know the enemy is so desperately after. But what about those who say, you know, I know people who are angry and fight to just fight. Let's hear what I just said. A warrior without a cause becomes very destructive. Some people do love to fight just to fight. And that's where we often see strength gone bad. This is not God's strength. Nowhere have we read about Jesus being a man of destruction in his anger. He's just matter of fact and stating who he is and who his and who he belongs to. I believe there's two ways to fight. One is to throw a punch. Now, not literally. But sometimes you have to just realize you'll have to be active in your fighting. Being active or throwing a punch means you're going to draw your sword. You're going to draw on the word of God, the literal sword, the word of God. Jesus did this in the wilderness. 
Don't you remember when Satan would come at him? He would say, it is written, it is written, it is written. How many times do you rebuttal the enemy's accusations and lies to you and your family? Can you quote scripture? Can you pull out a verse that will counter the attack of the enemy? Or do you have to stop and pause and look up a verse or wait till you get home and clean the dust off your Bible to find the very sword that you must use on a daily basis? Standing up for the weak is also imperative. The way we fight is not necessarily a physical fight, but it is where we stand against the wrong done to the innocent. We may need to fight in prayer or in fasting. Fight for those who can't. I often teach about the backlash of breakthrough. Many times in our battle-ready weekends or someone who is struggling, I fight for them through prayer and fasting or teaching of God's word and, and teach them how to fight like a champion, like a warrior that God intended for us to be. And it's there that I will often receive a backlash for their breakthrough. I've recognized it now and just pretty much plan on it every time that somebody gains a victory. I know I'm fighting on their behalf. When you take someone's name or their soul to the throne of God, laying them at the foot of the cross and saying, Jesus, help them, help them over their addiction, help them over their sin. You are doing ultimate war to the enemy of hell. He is not going to sit back lightly, especially when you're praying for someone's salvation. I remember a time in my daughter's life when she was in college, and it was there that I literally through my mind would carry her to the cross and lay her down and leave her. And the next time I heard about something else that happened in college, I would pick her back up, sometimes literally dragging her through my imagination to the foot of the cross and saying, Jesus, help her, save her, protect her. That is fighting on behalf of those who cannot or will not for themselves. But again, remember, the enemy does not go quietly. Some of us may need to fight on the behalf of our marriage for a child or a loved one who's caught up in addiction or in their sinful ways. In a weakness, I still fight for those who are struggling. I fight for my own mental health and emotions. I know I am nothing without Jesus. And the more I help advance the kingdom, the stronger the fight gets. I know I'm out on the battlefield. And if I leave myself to my own recourse, I know I will be a loser. Satan has many tactics and he knows the word of God. So don't ever think that he doesn't know how to use scripture against you. He will come with guilt and shame and accusations. But Jesus says there is no guilt and condemnation in me. Exodus 14, 13 through 14 says, Moses said to his people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you. I think many of us need to sometimes allow God to fight on our behalf as we throw a punch, as we're active. Sometimes we can get in God's way. So it's there that we have to ask for discernment. Lord, when do you have me move forward? When would you have me stand still? When would you have me fall back so that you could fight for me? God will direct your steps every way you calculate them if you are in fellowship with him. It's here that I think we take on our own thoughts, our own processes, our own tactics that we think we are smarter and wiser 
to the enemy's attacks. We never know where he's coming from. Remember Job when he said to Satan, do you remember in Job where it says Satan was roaming the earth looking for someone and God offered him up? Remember, Satan is always looking for someone that he can devour. Just like I talked about in the very beginning, 1 Peter 5, 8, he roams around seeking whom he can devour. Now, think about National Geographic and those shows you have seen where the weakest, the youngest of the antelope that the lions will chase after, the one who is the least in the pack, those are often the ones attacked first. So build your strength, know your stance, know the word of God, use your weapons, because usually bullies don't attack those who are strongest in their faith. Now, doesn't go to say that they won't, but those of us who are weak and without any protection are like the sitting duck. You are sitting out alone without anything around you. It's there that the enemy makes you an easy prey. And then we wonder why we live a beat up life. Because we haven't equipped ourselves. It would be like if you or I were in a U.S. military. Would you ever go out without your gun? Without an armored vehicle? Without your weaponry? No, of course we wouldn't. Would police officers go out without their Kevlar vests into a drug house or to go and apprehend a criminal? Of course they wouldn't. Every day they put on protection. They carry a gun. They wear their vests. They're trained daily weekly. They're constantly refreshing their minds, their skills, their mindset, their eyes, their sharpshooters. All of them are constantly training for the battle ahead because they never know what they're going to be approached with on any given day. And I believe we are just the same. On any given morning, we never know will the war be loud, will it be chaotic, or will it be a quiet day? I don't know about you, but I hope none of our military personnel or police officers ever wake up leaving themselves undressed to protect you and I. Fourthly, I think we need to fight for what matters. What will be here when you and I are not? Well, it will be our children or our grandchildren. Will you fight for your spiritual legacy? What did you do that made a difference? Those are the things that matter. Think of it this way. When the Lord returns and the world is set ablaze, what will be left? That's what matters. It's your relationships with people. 1 Corinthians 9.26 says, I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul talks about not fighting aimlessly. He has purpose and he fights with intentionality. Paul fights to win. He runs his race not to be thrown out or not to be remembered. He lives a life of victory. Are you? I know many of us are just coasting through life, taking whatever happens on any given day. Many of us just say, I'm coasting through life. It's comfortable. I don't want to cause things to be stirred. I don't want to fight. I don't really want to either. And I'm not a fighter at heart. But here's the thing. I know there are people dying and going to hell. The enemy wants to take as many people as possible. 
But Jesus says, I wish that no one would perish and go to hell. Friends, we have to fight for what is right. Many of us have members of our family and friends that are non-believers. If Jesus were returned tonight, where would they go? Are you fighting on their behalf? Are you taking their lives and souls in prayer, fasting for them, calling upon the Lord to save them? Or are you depending on someone else to pray for them? Think of it this way. If your neighbor's house was on fire, would you A, run inside and save them? Or B, say, I'll go in the house and pray for them? Of course you would pick A. You would go in to make sure no one was in that house. Say, giving a prayer meeting sometimes is the best opportunity that we can to save somebody. But oftentimes there is action we must take. Fight on the behalf of those who are lost and dying and going to hell. 1 Timothy 6.12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. He implores us to keep fighting for what is right. And later in 2 Timothy 4, 6, it says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come that I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Will you be able to say that at the end of your life, when God calls you to your eternal destination? When we stand at the judgment seat, will we be able to hear the words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You fought the good fight. As this year ramps up and there's going to be more controversy, more rioting, more disillusionment, more disagreements of the new president and whether we'll take a vaccine or not, whether we'll wear a mask or go into this building, whether we'll keep our curfews or be rebellious. Remember this. Spend your energy on what matters. Christ is a warrior. But he didn't fight aimlessly like Paul. He fought with purpose, with a cause. Those who fight without a cause are very, very destructive. We can see them every day on social media, on the news outlets. They fight just to fight. And really, where are they getting themselves? Where are they getting the rest of the world? We are getting nowhere when we fight without a cause. I'm talking when you have a cause worth living for. That's what you should fight for. Fight for your marriage. God anointed that covenant. Fight for your children. He gave them to you as a gift. When you don't know what else to do, remind your children, you know what? You are a gift to me. I'm responsible of giving you back. That's a huge burden that you can shift off of yourself onto them to realize when you're not the most popular parent, You can say, you're on loan, and I will be responsible for how I return you. It stopped a lot of arguments in my own house. It's here that we must fight for our pastors and our lay people, our ministries and our churches. Many are closing their doors because of this pandemic. It's here that we must fight for what is right. Don't fight over the color of clothing or whether you're going to wear a mask or follow the rules. Be a good person in society. It does say that we must all listen to Caesar. But it's here that we must fight for the holy war of spiritual ground. We are continuing to advance the kingdom for God. I want to encourage you today, friends, 
Fight the good fight. Fight for your life. Fight for what matters. In a world that there is not a day that goes by that we don't hear a new outbreak, a new racism slur, a new reason to be at odds. Remember this, a house divided will fall. Unify yourself with believers in Christ as we become stronger as one. In the end times, the church will be persecuted. There is no doubt about that. We're going to need unity on the battlefield. I hope that you'll take the time to evaluate your life. Look at what really matters, what's worth fighting for, and what's worth just letting go. And remember in Ephesians, God says, we don't fight against the flesh and blood, but of the principalities of this air. God says, stand, stand as you take up your, stand as you put on the armor of God. And in the very end, after it goes through all those pieces, we often miss that last piece of spiritual warfare, that last piece of armor it says, finally, when you've done everything, pray, pray and stand on the word of God, knowing that he will deliver you. I hope you'll join me this week in thinking about the things that really do matter. Those things that no longer seem to be of essential to us can just go by the wayside. I'm reminded of that verse in Ephesians 6 where it says, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Do that. Stand in the Lord, putting on your full armor of God. You can take your stand against the devil's schemes. It's here that our struggles are not of flesh and blood, like I said, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It reminds us to put on the full armor of God. We don't put on any armor unless we're going to fight. It's that so when, it doesn't say if, it says when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm, buckling that belt of truth and putting on the breastplate of righteousness. And when your feet are fully fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, again, taking up your shield of faith, which, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one that sends your way. Put on your helmet of salvation and take up your sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And here it is again, pray in the spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Friends, we must fight for our minds. We must fight for our marriage and our families. But most importantly, we must fight for that spiritual ground in which we claim is our victory. We know who wins this battle. We know who wins this war. We do with Christ, but without him, we are nothing. So I encourage you today to get in the word, become battle ready because you will have to fight in the war against the enemy. None of us are exempt. And I believe Christ put in all of our hearts, all of us as believers, the heart of a warrior. Go and fight for your life. 
Thanks for listening to Journey Living with Shannon Meyer. If you would like to hear this program again or request Shannon as a speaker, visit journeyliving.org. Join us again next Thursday morning at 9 a.m. for Journey Living with Shannon Meyer, right here on Shine FM.